friends or just people in your life that you admire. Um, we will, are going to have time to um, share about that. Um, Thank you. Um, one of the unique things about new community uh, that I have noticed is, uh, one, we oftentimes have babies in our service. How many people have ever heard a crying baby in a new community service? Absolutely love it. And for parents that have young children, we always want your young children. We want you to feel like they can be in the service. If they're crying, it does not bug us. It is what community is like. But I say all that to say oftentimes what I notice about new community that um, I have not seen in other places is it's not always the mom that's holding the baby in the back. It's not always the mom that's taking the baby out uh, to the foyer when they're crying or to, back to the nursery. Oftentimes we have dads that are doing that, and that's, um, that is a beautiful picture. And so, new community, I commend you for the, the fathers that we have here. Um, we stand on your shoulders, as Pat said. So thank you. Uh, thank you for setting that example. For those of you who have a dad right now, that uh, knows how to send a text message or receive a text message, I actually want you to do this. Pull out your phone. I'm going to tell you to text in church. I want you just, even if you've already said something, even if you've already sent the text, even if you've already called them, send them a quick text and just say, Dad, I love you. Thanks for being you. You don't have to say exactly that, but, but that's also really good, too. So if you want to say that, you can. Send that quick text right now. And then directly after that, turn your phone on to vibrate. <laughs> that was a, a little way for me just to make sure that everybody's phones are off. All right, so we, uh, we are beginning... <laughs> nice, thank you, Matthew. Uh, so we are beginning our summer series. So we finished up Romans. We were in the book of Romans for, uh, and specifically chapter 12 of Romans, for uh, a number of, um, of weeks into, I think, three months almost. And uh, today we begin a new series. We will be spending the summer in the Psalms. And so this is how this is going to work. There are a series of 10 talks that will be given over uh, 11 total weekends during the summer. Today will be the first one. And we are not going in chronological order. In fact, we're going to be all over the book. Um, and just to remind people, we do have our green buckets coming around right now. Sorry, I was supposed to say that in the beginning. But uh, you guys know what to do uh, with tithes and offerings. Um, so we're going to spend uh, 10 weeks looking at different chapters of the Psalms, so different Psalms specifically, and we're going to uh, be creative in how we approach them. What we tried to do is we drew in uh, a number of different voices and, and people that wanted to weigh in on this and ask the question, what are some of the predominant themes that we see throughout the book of Psalms? And then how could we choose a Psalm or two that would specifically get at that theme? And so we chose uh, probably eight-ish themes or so that are pretty consistent throughout the book, and then we have a, a number of talks that will cover those themes specifically, looking at one instance where that comes up uh, in, in the book. So today, uh, we are going to be looking at Psalm 90, Psalm 90. So if you want to get uh, that out right now, you can turn into your Bible to Psalm 90. It's the beginning of the book, uh, book four of Psalms. 
And I just want to spend a minute and read this because I think it's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, it'll take me a, a few minutes to get through this. Um, so you can follow along in your Bible. You can also just close your eyes if it helps you to focus in. But this is what Psalm 90 says. It's a Psalm of Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Take a minute, reread that, look at uh, specific verses, words that stood out to you, and I'm going to ask you a question. So take, take a minute and just look at that. If you were to choose a word uh, or a phrase or uh, something that was, was kind of short to um, try to get at the, the broad idea or the general idea that is being talked about in this psalm, what would, what would that phrase look like? What would that word be? You can shout out here. What are we dealing with here? Anything? Compassion, okay. Everlasting presence, good. Good. What else? Grandeur, sure. Frailty of our lives, good. Anything else? I'm sorry, what? Sovereignty of God, good. So as I read and studied this the last few weeks, uh, I think all of these things absolutely are, uh, are a piece of what's getting spoken at. But this idea of everlasting God, uh, if, if, even being, uh, making it bigger than that, the idea of time really stood out to me. 
the idea of time. And if you read through this, you see several different phrases talking about uh, different types of time. So everlasting nature, the fact that the grass withers. And it, it's this very, very kind of cyclical psalm that's looking at this idea of time and the difference of time between God and man. In a lot of ways, it kind of sounds like a, a, a chapter of Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? In a lot of ways. To truly understand this psalm, I think we first need to understand the life of Moses. He is the author, and so it would make sense to go back to him, to read a little bit about him. I want to look at one story in particular, and that's from Exodus 18. So as you're turning there, let me give you a, uh, just a little bit of an idea of context, what's going on. So uh, Exodus 18 is where we're going to read from. But before then, it's been a few months now that Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. They have already crossed the Red Sea. And now throughout the book of Exodus, we are seeing them just wander in the desert from place to place. They have a, they're a group of people without place now, trying to figure out where are they going to land, trying to establish new cultural norms in this new reality that they have as a wandering nomadic people. We've already begun to see this pattern in the Israelites of questioning and grumbling. Israel is becoming incredibly restless. They've been in the desert for about three months to this point. And Moses is the praying leader. And we see him go to God often, praying for wisdom, for understanding. We've already seen God come to the rescue by providing manna, by providing water from the rock. And so God is answering uh, these prayers that Moses is bringing in front uh, or kind of uh, for the people of Israel. And this is where uh, I want to read Exodus 18, 13 through 27. It's kind of in this moment that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes for a visit to Moses. And this is the, uh, the interaction that they have. I'm going to read from 18, 13 to 27. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is the thing you were doing for people? Why do you do it alone? Sit as a judge, and all the people stand about you from morning until evening. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is no good. You will surely wear out, both yourself and these people who are with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select, and of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commends you, then you will be able to endure. And all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring before Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. 
Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went on his way to his own land. Moses was tasked with the impossible difficulty, the responsibility of leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the desert to wander for 40 years. He was the guy that God had placed in charge to lead the nation while they waited, while they waited for God to show up and provide land. Jethro comes in, a wise man, a priest himself, and I think he recognizes the enormity of the task that Moses is embarking on and essentially exclaims, as a leader of people, you need not meddle in the small and insignificant affairs of simple judgment. Keep focused on the call that God has placed before you and appoint others, equip others to help shoulder the burden. So this passage has been read for years, and in a lot of ways it's been read as a, uh, a, a biblical instance of leadership development, that Moses is setting up others to take on roles and responsibilities to lead others. And obviously there are strands of truth in that interpretation. Certainly that is what Moses is doing. He's finding the best men, honorable men, to step into a, a greater role of leadership than what they were. But when I read this this last week, what I read was the concerned voice of a father-in-law. There's something very, very personal in this interaction. It's the concerned voice of a father-in-law trying to make Moses aware of something, trying to bring something to his attention. I think Jethro speaks to Moses out of wisdom of experience. And I would argue that he's not speaking simply about equipping leaders, but he's speaking to Moses for him to recognize and understand that his time is both limited and his time is valuable. Jethro is trying to awake Moses to the realization that each day should have a number. This brings us back to Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. Because I believe Moses is writing from his experience. And so he pens Psalm 90 about time. Verses 1 through 11 begin to speak to the vast difference between our eternal God and the temporal human experience. And he paints this beautiful picture of this chasm that is so great between the vast, omniscient God and the weak, vulnerable human. Verse, uh, the first 11 verses of Psalm are ecclesiastical in nature. They feel that way. There's uh, this sense of hopelessness. It's almost deterministic in a lot of ways. We read those final, uh, or, or the verses 9 and 11, it says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. You bring your, uh, our years to an end like a sigh. The years of your life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are gone soon and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? But then in verse 12, something changes. The trajectory of the psalm shifts, and it moves to a more hopeless reality. Or, I'm sorry, a more hopeful reality. A, a hopeful cry for wisdom and alignment to the work of the Lord. And it says this in verse 12 and throughout the rest of the psalm. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in all of our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see, if this did come out of experience, if Moses is writing this psalm out of his experience, and I imagine Moses sitting down to write verses 1 through 11 the night before he knew he had to get up and judge people all day long. Morning until night, people bringing their small disputes before Moses. And I imagine him sitting there writing these first 11 verses, lamenting the monotony and seemingly endless future of leading a restless people. Saying, God, this is too much for me. You are so great and I am so weak. And our future does not look that hopeful. But then maybe after his conversation with Jethro, he pulls out his journal and begins to pen verses 12 through 17. And this is where I believe the psalm speaks into our culture, a hope that we can see in these final verses. Verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, we have all been graciously given time. Each day we wake up and we have a new set of seconds and minutes and hours, and they are ours to choose how we spend them. How many people remember, this will really date a lot of us, uh, how many people remember the book, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Anybody that's over about 35 probably remembers that book. If you're younger, then you probably had parents that were reading it. Uh, so this guy uh, postulates that everything he needs to know as an adult, he actually learned in his year of school in kindergarten. This year, we had a lot of kindergarten in our house. Two of our boys were in kindergarten. My wife is a kindergarten teacher, and so we were spending a lot of time thinking about kindergarten stuff this year. And one of the things that I loved about kindergarten is uh, this idea of every day is counting. I remember when I was in kindergarten, we had this 180-day chain. How many people remember this chain that you would put together? And it spanned the entire room. And every single day, the first thing that we would do is the teacher would go and cut off another one of the chain links counting down the 180 days that we're in school. My wife is a teacher. Every single day, they would start by looking at the calendar, cross off a day. My boys always knew what day of school. We had a 100-day party and then a 150-day party and so on and so forth. They always knew what day it was. Each day had a name. Each day was seen as important. What could be accomplished in the course of a year of kindergarten was completely dependent upon the importance of each day. There's this focus on no time lost. A scholar, James Lindbergh, concludes an accurate re-rendering of verse 12 would read like this. Lord, teach us to make each day count. Lord, teach us to make each day count. Verse 12 is a plea to receive wisdom enough to make every day worth something. So my question to you is, do we make every day? single day count. I think many of us seek to make every day productive. I think many of us seek to make every day about accomplishment. I think many of us have the acute skill to make every single day incredibly busy. 
but do we make each day count? You see, the idea in this psalm is about time. That's this kind of big, broad narrative. But it's also about meaning and about significance. Moses is not just asking for more time. He's asking to make the time he has significant. Give me wisdom to make my time significant for you, Lord. Time and significance are linked Because how we spend our time not only communicates what we believe is significant, but will, in the end, affect the overall significance of our lives. When Moses was sitting from morning until evening, hearing the disputes of others, I think he was seeking to be productive. I think he felt like he was accomplishing something. He certainly was busy. I'll bet it even gave him a feeling of importance, hearing all of these disputes. But I would argue along with Jethro, that he was not making every single day count with the significance that he was called to. Jesus masterfully made every day count. Sometimes it meant that he was healing others or feeding other people. Other times it meant that he spent the day teaching to a big crowd or to a small group. Frequently it meant that he went alone or that he had interaction with one person. Jesus was not haphazard in what he did. He was intentional in how he spent Every single moment. Jesus made every day count because his understanding of time was completely built around this idea of the kingdom. He says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus knew that the time had come. And therefore there was an intentionality in every single thing he did. Time was not a commodity for Jesus. It was measured and calculated and used with the pretense that the kingdom of God is at hand. And this understood and marked the time he spent alone, the time he spent in community, the time he spent in ministry. Every day counted towards something bigger for Jesus. So let me ask again, do we make every day count? Is every day building toward something bigger in your life. Finding significance is difficult in a culture that values production and wealth. Even though it's difficult for all of us, I want to take a moment, just a moment this morning and speak specifically to the dads. Seems like it would be a good Sunday for that. I am a dad. I have a dad. I'm friends with other dads. I kind of consider myself an expert on dad issues at this point. That's a joke, guys. I'm 33. I know nothing about being a father, really. But I'm learning. Uh, As a dad, and if I were to speak to just the fathers in this room, I believe you have to ask yourself every single morning, what's the most significant thing in your life? And if you find yourself struggling to find the answer, then let me offer you some help this morning. The most significant thing in your life is Jesus Christ. There is nothing that is more significant than that. The second most significant thing in your life is your spouse. There is nothing greater other than Jesus than your spouse. And after that, it is your kids. That is the third most significant thing in your life, the children that God has entrusted to you. After that, it is your community, the community of people that you have around you, your church community. And then five, through everything else, 
It's a battle. Is it work? Is it your hobbies? Is it whatever? Frankly, I don't really care at that point. Those first four is what we care about. Jesus Christ, your wife, your kids, and your community. And then everything else can have five and so forth. Like I said earlier, there are many dads that model this incredibly well in our community. But I think we all struggle from time to time to remember the most important things in life are not connected to advancement. They're not connected to excellence in work or productivity. Now, certainly work is important. There is a theology of work that we should all have and understand. But the important things, the things that truly make our days count are those things like being present and engaged with your kids, earnestly listening to your wife, being kind to your neighbors, spending time to study the scripture. It's easy to get all turned around on this. Trust me, I know. Just this week, uh, it was actually a week ago, um, I got home a little earlier than usual. My wife had a doctor's appointment, and so usually kind of have a time that I get home, and she needed to leave early, so I was home about 30 or 45 minutes early so uh, that she could leave, and there was a rush getting out of the office, and some things were left undone, and there's papers on my desk, and there's emails that I hadn't returned. And I got home thinking that I could just simply finish up a few little things while the kids go and play. Certainly I'm there. I'm, I'm managing. You know, they're all healthy and they're fed. They're playing. And then dad just kind of steals away for a little while. And so I'm at the kitchen table and they're playing in, in the room. And I'm, you know, hearing this, hey, dad, come on and play. And it's just like, hey, three more minutes. Just three more minutes. I'm sending emails furiously on my phone. My oldest son comes in. And he just kind of stands at the edge of the table and looks at me. And I don't even acknowledge him because I'm like, if I could get this last sentence done, it just I can go and play Legos, you know. And he just kind of stands there for about 30 seconds. And he just looks up at me once I'm done and I send my last email. I look at him and he says, Dad, are you going to come play Legos with me or are you going to send emails on your phone all day? I'm not trying to add drama to the situation, but in that moment, my value and significance was purely driven by accomplishment and production. I could be someone or something if I'm the first to reply to the email, if I'm the quickest to get back to that person. If I could just get a few more things done, then I am significant. I've had a successful day. And in that last 30 seconds, while I'm not necessarily thinking those things, but very much acting on those things, one of the greatest gifts of my life was standing right in front of me, just wanting a little bit of attention. Here is my encouragement. Like Moses needed the wisdom of Jethro, so I believe we need the wisdom of the community to remind us that we can choose to make every day count. That our ongoing search for significance is not found in what we produce or how much we can accomplish, but we are already significant because we are loved by the God of the universe. And that we now can live significant lives when we choose to make our days count. We can either be known as the dads and the moms and the friends that are more concerned with their work or their hobbies or their iPhones than with our kids and our spouses and those in need or the advancement of the kingdom. Or we can be known as a community of people that understands time as a precious gift and spends it on the most 
important things. It's with a heavy heart that I speak this morning in the wake of this unthinkable and horrific tragedy this week. We are again confronted with a sobering reality that time, although given freely, is not equally given to every person. Lives are too often cut short. And I think it underlines the idea that every single day should be seen as a gift and not taken for granted. A meaningful life will not come just from hard work, or from being the most efficient, from producing the most stuff, from amassing the most wealth. A meaningful life can only be built upon the understanding that time is precious, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And a significant life can only be lived out when we strive to make every single day count. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, it is with heavy hearts that we gather this morning. Heavy hearts for those who were taken too early by violence. We pray for the families of our brothers and sisters. Charleston, we ask, God, that you would be a God of peace, a God of understanding, not only for that community, but globally as people wrestle with how to, how to understand and how to deal in tragedy. Lord, may the reality that time is precious not be lost on us. God, give us the ability to know that, to feel that, and to live that out. To live out every day as if the day counted towards something bigger. Lord, specifically for the fathers in this room, we pray for your continued hand of grace and guidance on them. May they, may we, Lord, be men that bring you honor. Be men that show uh, your ways to those around us. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go, you are dismissed today, and have a wonderful Sunday and rest of your week.